0: Hello everyone, I'm Blaine Gilmer. Welcome into this morning report here on Southeastern 14, talking about what happened in week two of SEC football and what we learned about each of these teams heading into week three. Quite frankly, a few teams that just have not been tested yet that we haven't learned uh, a whole lot about i'll start off with the georgia bulldogs listen they have kind of slept walk first quarter against ball state they slept walk against ut martin they turn it on uh, when they want to turn it on it seems like and have a flurry of points that comes there i just wonder okay are they going to finally decide, all right, we're going to be physical, we're going to execute in the blocking game, and we're going to get after people running the football a little bit. That's what we're going to have to see with Georgia against South Carolina. But we just don't know a whole lot based off those performances. You can't – all you can say is they're not executing at the level that they would expect right now, but still you look at that team – deepest most talented in the country right now they're going to get some guys back with Dejan Edwards and Ladd McConkey you know that Carson Beck is making some good decisions and he's he's delivering the ball well down the field so that's really about all we know about the Georgia Bulldogs right now when it comes to two games into this season because they haven't played the level of competition that would really show any kind of warts or anything right now other than there are some There is a lack of execution in the run game, so to speak, right now in terms of perimeter blocking, in terms of the interior push along the front, so that's what we've kind of learned about the Georgia Bulldogs. We've also learned that they're really, really good on defense. They fly around to the football. They have a ton of people that they can can rotate in and play on the defensive side of the ball especially, so that looks to be very strong once again for Kirby Smart. I'm going to stick in the SEC East right now and talk about Florida. I think what we've learned about Florida is that Graham Mertz can be consistent. Uh, He can play winning football. I know they didn't win at Utah, but I was surprised anybody to see just how uh, he's provided a little bit of a steadiness to Florida. They just haven't had as explosive of an offense as they wanted, especially in that Utah game. But against McNeese State, he looks fine. He's completing 73% of his passes. Uh, They needed to get back to running the football after only 10 carries for 31 yards, I believe, for those two uh, running backs, Etienne and Johnson, in that Utah game. They got back to it. Ran the football well against McNeese State. Of course, that's expected. That's what they should do, blow them out. Now you have Tennessee coming in. Can their defensive front provide enough pressure on not only on Joe Milton, but also uh, be able to stop that Tennessee run game? I think there's a lot of young guys playing up there up front in terms of guys that they maybe you know weren't counting on early. Justice Boone going down right before the season was a big blow to that Florida defensive front. So I think what we've learned is, hey, Graham Mertz can can play a little bit. But outside of Ricky Pearsall, there's not a whole lot of receivers that are out there making a bunch of plays. They've targeted him way more than anybody else. He's got 14 receptions. I think the next highest on the team after that is six. So they're going to have to find ways to get other guys involved in that passing game because – Teams like Tim Banks and Tennessee are probably going to say, "Hey, we're not going to let Ricky Pearsall get the football in this game. We're gonna we're gonna double team him. We're gonna take him out of the equation and see if Graham Mertz and company can beat us with somebody else." And they're also going to try to stifle the run game. I'll stay in the East once again, and just since I just invoked Tennessee's name, I'll stay with them. I don't think we learned a ton out of that Austin P game. People want to, uh, you know, make a lot about it, but it was a confluence of, yeah, Joe Milton is not as accurate as many people were hoping he would be. I think we have learned that even in the Virginia game where they, they looked quote unquote good. I think Joe Milton missed some throws there. He definitely missed some throws against Austin P. And then his receivers when he was on the money totally let him down. Uh just drop after drop after drop it seemed like and you know that gets in a quarterback's head especially when you've got the the pressure to say hey we got to get this thing kick started get it going. Tennessee's defense—they still stop the run uh, very, very well. They're they're out there flying around. They create havoc. They get into the 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 backfield. Lots of tackles for a loss. They're very disruptive. Whether it's you know Beasley or Pierce, uh, they they've got guys who are flying around and being them to beat people one on one up front. They do give up some chunk plays at times. Austin P was able to extend drives on them, and that's something I think we've learned about the entirety of the SEC. Okay, and the entirety of college football is these new clock rules, all right? Teams that feel like they are at a disadvantage athletically, if they can extend drives and just be efficient getting first downs, okay, being around 50% on third down conversion, then they can bleed that clock a lot better than they could before when it was stopping on on first downs and, you know, being able to just really really take their time with their pace austin p had 39 minutes of possession which tennessee that's nothing new for them but it is when you're not they're used to taking their small amount of possession time that they have and just really capitalize it on it and really um you know being creating points quickly is what tennessee's you know used to do and they finally started doing that a little bit later in the game but definitely not the performance that Tennessee wanted uh, from its from its passing unit as a whole, whether it was Milton missing guys early, whether it was some drops. Um, pass protection was an issue for Tennessee, so I think overall Tennessee's just got to clear some things up. I think you'll see Tennessee and Georgia both come with a little bit of a renewed focus heading into SEC play here um, in week three. We'll just finish out here in the East – Missouri has to be able to get something going outside of Luther Burden. He's really the most dynamic playmaker. They've got Schrader that's that's running the ball fine. Uh Nathaniel Pete, you know, does some good things, but my goodness, uh, you know, for a I mean, Eli Drinkwitz and and the company over there have to be able to find some some creativity. They got to be able to, you know, get some excitement around that offense where it seems like it's just a little stale, uh, at times. And, and there was, you know, one point where it was fourth and one in middle Tennessee state territory. And they, and I'm talking about on the 44 yard line, a situation where you could go for the, go for it right there. And, and you know, keep some momentum, play those analytics and stuff like that. They elected to punt the football away. one, Okay, They do trust that defense that much, and we've talked all offseason long about how good Missouri's defense is, and they've played well uh, to start the year with all those seniors over there, all those returning starters on that defense. So that may have had something to do with that decision. But I think you just need to see the next level out of that offense. Missouri has to find, okay, how can we get – some playmakers going and create some explosive plays outside of getting Luther Burden the football. So that is what we learned about Missouri, that this, this offense has a little bit of an ineptitude about it right now, and they need to be able to find some more explosion to really support a very, very good defense that they have at Missouri. Kentucky. Kentucky was a lot like Tennessee in the fact that, hey, when Devin Leary did put the ball in the money – Wide receivers dropped it, and then he missed a lot of folks at times as well. Uh, they just simply could not get things going like they wanted to against Eastern Kentucky, and that is concerning. This is two weeks in a row where they haven't really just been a you know beacon of promise over there offensively, and I think that has to worry Kentucky fans a little bit. They still play really good defense, um, and you know I'm just looking to see okay, how does. Kentucky look in SEC play as we get going here. Kentucky still has one more week to be able to clean some things up. They get Akron, which is not a good football team. You want to see Kentucky come out this Saturday against Akron and really execute, really, really uh, ramp up the efficiency in the passing game, uh, get some explosives going, get Devin Leary and that wide receiving trio that is so talented that everybody knows can make plays them and Liam Cohen all on the same page and get this offense rolling before you get to SEC play. And then even then they they open with Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt on on SEC next week in week four. So an opportunity to get their run game going because what we learned about Vanderbilt is they do not have the capability to stop the run. Wake Forest ran for 288 yards. I think that forced, you know, when you're able to to get that much on the ground and really kind of take the air out of the football when you're, when you're Wake Forest and at times get chunks of yards running the football, then it puts, you know, more pressure on AJ Swan and that offense to deliver. They made some nice plays at certain points with McGowan and, and Shepard and AJ Swan can make some really, really pretty throws. I mean, he's, he's a guy that I think has a really good future, but too many, uncharacteristic mistakes out of A.J. Swan. One thing he did well last year was uh, protect the football, um, but he did not do that in this game, and I think in part is because they felt so much pressure to to kind of force some things a little bit when they did have the football because they knew Wake Forest was going to be able to run it at will, and boy, they did. I mean, Vanderbilt, not exactly uh, stellar stopping the run with that 280 eighty eight yards of Russian production right there, so um that that's what we learned about Vanderbilt and then finally South Carolina against Furman. I think we learned that they've got some young guys uh that that have some talent, uh whether it's you know Mario Anderson that transferred in or D j Braswell at running back or Nick Harbor at receiver, they were able to to play. Some of these freshmen they played some freshman offensive linemen that I think actually gave them quality reps and quality uh looks at the offensive line, which I think they may need to insert those guys and just kind of roll with them and get going because South Carolina has not performed well on the offensive line against North Carolina and uh, or against Furman. I think we we saw a little bit too that it's not just that North Carolina in the first week was some uh Unbelievable defense. They gave up 34 points to App State in week two, and they did not have one sack against Appalachian State, did that North Carolina defensive front. Not one. They had zero sacks in that game after having nine sacks and 16 tackles for a loss against South Carolina in week one. South Carolina's offensive line not doing well right now. I believe they rushed for 2.8 yards per carry against Furman in the run game to on Joyner, Juju McDowell, not getting it done for South Carolina as the primary running backs. We'll see if they make a change and get Braswell more involved or get, um, Mario Anderson more involved, but my goodness, uh, not what they need run wise because Spencer Rattler is playing his tail off. I mean, he's playing as good a football as he can play being efficient, making good decisions, uh, putting the ball where only his his receivers have a chance to make plays. Um, they did, you know, maybe lose one of their top receivers in Amrahim Brown with a hamstring injury. We'll see how how that you know you never know with soft tissue uh, injuries like that what that's going to look like going into this Georgia game. But just along with Juice Wells, if he's healthy and and Xavier Leggett, they've got guys who can make plays. Of course, Trey Knox hasn't been as involved. Uh, probably as we would expect it throughout these first two games, he, he's been dealing with some injury stuff as well. But I think what we learned is this South Carolina offensive line not not really producing at the highest level they need to. They've got some injuries on the back end of their defense as well. I think that South Carolina has a youth movement that's coming. They've recruited well. Um, they that's what the excitement has been under Beamer. That's what the excitement is for the future. They may need to just roll with some of these young guys and let them go at it. So that's what we learned about the SEC East. Now we're going to go to the SEC West, starting with Alabama. I think we learned that this Alabama defense is very good, but you cannot, cannot leave them on the field for 75 plays. And Alabama wasn't able to produce enough offensively uh, to to help its defense out to play complementary football. Five of 14 on third down. Uh, it's not going to cut it, not going to cut it at all. Um, they also lost the time of possession battle. Uh, they lost the turnover battle. And all those things, you know, whether it's a sudden change, whether it's allowing not being able to get off the field for Texas. Texas also went two of three on fourth down. As well, But the offense, not being able to extend drives and sustain drives and value the football really put Alabama's defense in a bad spot. Also, offensive line-wise, I was telling everybody all offseason that that's the problem. That is the, that is the area of concern for Alabama because, yeah, they've got a lot of talent, but do they have enough depth and do they have enough experience, particularly at left tackle with Caden Proctor, his freshman got exposed a little bit. Um, you know, definitely a few times in a row at key moments in that game where Caden Proctor got beat. And Jalen uh, Milrow, I know that he made, made a couple mistakes in that game throwing the ball, but my goodness, it seemed like he was running for his life. Texas had five sacks in that game. And he was running for his life a lot. And uh, some of the plays, some of the yardage and the production that Alabama did have only came because Milrow was able to create. So I do think we see why he is Alabama's quarterback right now. I think he is the best option. But my goodness, they have to be able to get something going um, behind that offensive line, only 107 rushing yards. Now, they they limited Texas to 105 rushing yards, but that secondary, uh, they were on the field so long that you give – Quinn Quinn Ewers enough chances seventy five plays once again for that Texas offense and when you're talking about the the era of the new clock rules that is a ton of plays um, that's going that's getting as many plays as Tennessee's been getting in football games to start the year off so uh, a lot of plays for Texas and I think we learned that Alabama has issues along the offensive front that are going to plague them. Uh, until they until they get them corrected, uh, and now they're heading into heading into uh, a South Florida game, where you know, hey, they should they should look good, they should dominate, but you need to try to make sure that uh, you're clicking on all cylinders because when Ole Miss comes to town, it's going to be a little bit different. In Week Four, Ole Miss comes to town, and we will transition now to. Talking about the rebels there, Jackson Dart has grown up before our eyes uh, in clutch situations last year. You know there was times, especially at the end of that Alabama game, it just looked like okay. First read if it's not there, I'm running. Well, there was times here where Jackson Reed he's been able to go pr- through progressions earlier in the year. He's grown in this Lane Kiffin offense. Uh, fourth down, fourth and four, I believe on the posi- on the plus twenty three yard line there inside of lanes territory. A guy comes off the edge, rushing Jackson Dart. He makes him miss, hits Michael Trigg, touchdown, puts that one away for Old Miss. But he has been a guy that has led this team well. Uh, he's been a guy that has completed 70% of his passes uh, to start the season, six to one touchdown to interception ratio. And he's just used his legs brilliantly, uh, distributed the ball well, so I think that that Ole Miss doing a really good job of playing to their to their strengths right now, and their strength right now is not necessarily running the football. They're only averaging 116 yards a game, rushing 3.4 yards per carry. Not exactly what you expect out of a team that has Quinshaw Judkins. Now maybe it's that people are loading up the box and saying, "Hey, you're not going to beat us," and, and seeing that Jackson Dart can do that, and Jackson Dart has been able to do that so far. Um, they've also gotten a big, big boost out of uh, Trey Harris. He he scored another touchdown in this game. He's got five on the year. Jordan Watkins, their leading receiver, has been very reliable um, as well. And Michael Trigg looks like a playmaker. So I think that this old Miss offense looks great, uh, that the defense, you know, I think the secondary and giving up big plays is a little bit of a problem. Uh, even with a backup quarterback in Kai Horton for Tulane, they gave up uh, too many chunk plays. So I think that's an area for concern. But if you're old Miss, um, you know, you just look at things. You got Georgia Tech, who is an improved football team. So let's see how they respond after playing a tough game on the road, uh, welcoming Georgia Tech in, who Brent Key has playing well. They should have won the first game against Louisville in the opener there, um, and then Georgia Tech uh, won a game this past week that they that they should have won. Now, we'll see how they do. Performing against an SEC opponent over there, but Ole Miss uh, looks like they, other than Georgia, is there anybody that you would point to and say, hey, maybe that's the team playing the second best of anybody uh, in the in the SEC other than other than Georgia, Ole Miss is playing pretty good. Another team I think you could make the case for that is Auburn. Auburn's defense and Eugene Asante, boy, they had Austin Keys go down with a thumb injury and my linebacker, and, and everybody's like, well, uh, what's going to happen at the linebacker position where Auburn was already thin and Auburn's offense couldn't just they couldn't pee a drop against Cal. I mean, they, they scored early and then they didn't score again to that, that, that late drive with Peyton Thorne who finally uh, got some things going there. They, they let him, you know, get loose a little bit, throw the football uh, towards the end of that game. But defensively, they really stymied a good running back in Jay not. And then you had, um, e- Eugene Asante step up in that linebacker role, nine tackles, uh, on the night. He had, uh, one-and-a-half tackles for a loss, had a sack. He just seemed to be everywhere for Auburn. And I think that type of performance is exactly what they needed when they lost a guy that they were looking to be a leader for them on the defense Uh, in Austin Keys, you know, in that UMass game that lost him to a thumb injury and he wasn't available for Cal. To go on the road, okay, even when you're supposed to, you're viewed as the more talented team, to go on the road late Late kickoff for Auburn, not be able to perform as well as you want offensively and for that defense to stand up and really, really, uh, you know, perform well. Quite the, quite the victory there for Auburn. held Cal to four of 18 on third down, and that's with being on the field a lot. I mean, being on the field a lot because of, you know, not being able to sustain drives on on offensively. Also, uh, you know, Auburn with turnovers and penalties, it was sloppy on the offensive side of the ball. I think they have to find a way to uh, get Jarquez Hunter, you know, going a lot more. Uh, 11 carries, 53 yards on the day is not, not going to be what you need uh, out of him. But, man, uh, Peyton Thorne threw a pick. Uh, they, they had some fumbles in this game. But overall, at the end, clutch play to Rivaldo Fairweather to get that win. And Eugene Asante, I mean, he's, he's got to be viewed as maybe the player of the week defensively uh, in the SEC with that type of performance that he had. He was, he was really, really active for Auburn and did a lot to help that, that football team. Let's talk about Arkansas. Arkansas put together a putrid performance offensively. The offensive line didn't didn't do anything. Luckily, KJ Jefferson was able to kind of pull them out of the fire with some impro- improvisation. Uh, you know, one time he dropped a snap, picked it up, ran around, find a guy in the back of the end zone, finally to give him some life there towards halftime. But a Kent State team that really is just not very good at all. BYU will be much better uh, football team that they have to face. This week, so uh, they need that offensive line to step up. They didn't have Rocket Sanders to turn around and you know just say, "Hey, go do something special," uh, right there. So they they need to pick it up. I challenged Arkansas's wide receiver. I said I wanted to see him get separation away from these Kent State defenders, a defense that gave up over 700 yards the week before to UCF, and they just were not able to do it. We need to see Tesla and Armstrong and Sategna and all these guys be able to separate and give K.J. Jefferson some easy throws. But it all starts with up front. Uh, I know there's some inexperience up front, and Sam Pittman has voiced his concerns with that offensive line uh, at times. But, my goodness, I didn't think they would would struggle like that. So I need to see Arkansas, uh, you know, rally the troops a little bit, and, and you know, get things done against BYU at home because you got to go to Baton Rouge the week after. And I know LSU is not what we you know originally thought coming into the year, but still uh, need to see need to see a little bit cleaner operation there from Arkansas. Speaking of LSU, who Arkansas does go to the week after next, they finally got a run game going outside of Jaden Daniels. Yes, it's against Grambling. I understand. But Logan Diggs, 115 yards rushing. They had 300 yards rushing on the ninth. You know, finally, that's what they need to help out Jane Daniels. That dude played his guts out against Florida State and didn't get any help around him. They had some key drops in the with the receivers that game. The offensive line looked like a sieve at times, just letting Jared burst and those Florida State uh, defensive defensive front just come through and Jaden nanos couldn't get comfortable they didn't push the ball down the field in that first game but they finally got a little bit of a run game and that can help your down the field passing game the better you can run the football with your running backs the more shots you're going to be able to take down the field because you can really get the benefit of hey the quarterback is putting the ball in the belly of a running back and then it freezes a defender and you can take those shots down the field That is what LSU needs to look better. They're going to have to look better against a uh, Mississippi State team. They're going to Starkville that I I think Mississippi State, a lot of people are like, oh, they didn't run. They didn't throw the football enough. What's the play call and all this kind of stuff? We'll get to them in just a second. But LSU is going to face a hard-nosed football team in Mississippi State that has quality leadership and is uh, not daunted by the task. And Zach Arnett. Uh, I think he's doing a really good job with that Mississippi State team. But LSU, Logan Diggs, the Notre Dame transfer, that's a big deal. Him getting involved, he was not unavailable for the opener. Uh, Him and Mason Smith were unavailable for that opener against against Florida State. So still everything in front of LSU. Now they got to go execute in Starkville, so we'll see how they do there speaking of mississippi state boy i really like the way that kevin barbe has designed the offense in terms of the angles and getting the pistol downhill running game going for woody marks for seth davis for Pittman. these guys run hard and i am excited to see them match up against an lsu defense I uh, really really think that you know will rogers is a guy that that We just haven't seen him put everything together in this offense yet. I think you're going to see everything open up to Lou Griffin is an explosive guy. Uh, They need to be able to find ways to get the ball in his hands more as well. I think you'll see Will Robert, a lot of Mississippi State fans were up and armed. Well, he's not throwing the football enough, so you go from we don't run the ball enough last year to we don't throw the ball enough this year. That's why you love college football, right? I mean, it's just you never know what you're going to get week to week, year to year uh, out of your team. But I think they showed a lot of toughness, showed a lot of grit. That game could have been – worse with Arizona they could have they could have put it away a little bit earlier they missed some opportunities gave up some fluky type plays in the secondary There pushing the ball down the field but LSU that's not what they've really been doing they haven't taken shots Jaden Daniels hasn't hasn't been willing to push the ball down the field we'll see if they're willing to this game after seeing uh, Mississippi State secondary kind of give up some big plays on the back end at times but Jet Johnson and Nathaniel uh, Nathaniel Watson, my goodness. I mean, they are tremendous at that linebacker position for Mississippi State. Just make play after play, create turnovers. I I really like the DNA of this Mississippi State team, and I'm excited to watch them host LSU. By the way, you can see our full prediction video on the channel, like, subscribe, turn on notifications. I'm picking Mississippi State. I like them to pull the upset at home. Uh, And then lastly, the last team we have to cover in the SEC West is Texas A&M. And if I was Connor Wigman and Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher, uh, I would, you know, sue my secondary for uh, malpractice because the defensive backs and just being exposed at the cornerback position, giving up big play after big play they made, you know, Restrepo for Miami looked like Bolitnikoff. I mean, it was uh, atrocious. Missed a lot of tackles, missed assignments, bust in the back end, weren't able to get enough pressure on Tyler Van Dyke, and he just diced them up. But Connor Wigman is a star. I'm telling you, he is a future star in the SEC. He's a playmaker. We had him in our top five quarterback list coming into this and i'm telling you i think that connor wigman is the real deal for texas a&m going forward uh you know he had to throw the ball 53 times so you throw the ball 53 times you're gonna have a pick here here or there but they couldn't get enough going in the run game consistently to be able to help them out they got to be able to run the football better they got to be able to distribute the football better a little bit in the passing game but I think Connor Wigman is tough as nails. I like him a lot, but that defense was awful when it came to chunk plays and especially in the secondary, uh, just not being able to cover, not being able to you know, play assignment football. That's a game Texas A&M should have won that football game. They played well enough offensively to do so. They got let down uh, by, their, by their defense in this one, uh, DJ Durkin and company I really expected a better better effort along that front of in terms of being able to get to uh get to Tyler Van Dyke just didn't see didn't see a whole lot uh you know from that talented front and then you know you talk about they did stop the run well but man Tyler Van Dyke uh just ate him up in terms of through the air and, and a lot of that you don't get enough pressure and the secondary gets exposed so that's what we learned in week two of SEC football we've, we've covered every team here we're excited about week three we have a preview for each game like subscribe turn on notifications uh, we we have all kinds of content coming out through the week Brian Edwards a uh, uh, Vegas insider for decades. He's here talking about betting picks. Jake Crane of Crane & Company on the Daily Wire. He's here with us each and every Friday with Jake's Takes. We have a daily show with Chris Lee, Blake Lovell, Gavin Schoenwald, all these guys that are doing their thing each and every day. And then we have this morning report Monday through Thursday uh, and then have a Jake's Takes on Friday and a college SEC football game day show uh, that talks about not only SEC games, but college football. By the way, we were three for three on our games outside the SEC pick. We picked Colorado. We picked Washington State. Uh, Washington State in that game, we picked Notre Dame big. Uh, so you may want to tune in that Saturday morning as that will premiere at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Blaine Gilmer. You can follow me using bgilmer18. You can follow Southeastern14 on X now or on Twitter, Uh, formerly Twitter, using at 14 Southeastern. Thank you so much, and we will catch you next time to talk more SEC and college football right here on Southeastern 14.